0: Hi, welcome back to our Culture Hacker Podcast. My name is Shane Green, and I'm gonna be your host for the next 30 minutes. I'm very excited to uh, get into our uh, topics this week and to bring on our guest we have Linda Fisher Thornton. She is the leading in contact CEO and author of Seven Lenses, learning the principles and practices of ethical leadership. And if there was a topic that I think some companies need to pay attention to right now, it's certainly ethics and the big part that leadership plays in it. Linda, finally, welcome to the Culture Hacker podcast. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Shane. Great to be here to talk about leadership ethics and culture.
0: All right, let's jump right in. Okay, so you got this book, Seven Lenses, and it's really focusing on the importance of ethical leadership and sort of the various responsibilities that a leader has. So give me the definition of ethical leadership, and why is this such an important topic for today's business audience?
1: I'm going to start with why it's important. Uh, The expectations... On us as leaders are moving to a much higher level where we're expected to do a lot more and what's really happening is the minimum standard or the expectation of ethical leadership are in in essence our understanding of good leadership is moving to a higher level as we learn more about what happens when we make choices and the impact on that the ripple effect in a global society so we're expected to lead with positive values And, of course, the changing leadership relationship um, puts more power with the employee and more pressure on the leader to provide the kind of positive work environment where people can thrive. And with increasing globalization, leaders have to have the cultural awareness, respect for differences that would be necessary to get through what they'll need to do. And there's also a sense of um, focus on well-being, supporting people's growth and development and life success, not just their job success, but their complete well-being. So these expectations go way beyond offering someone a job and a paycheck. Um, and in that kind of environment, openness to learning becomes critical. Uh, we see it in the news. When we're not open to learning, we can easily think that another perspective is a threat. Uh, and as humans, we tend to want to hold on, hold fast to our own beliefs But that other perspective we're arguing against might actually reflect a perspective we need to understand in order to see the whole picture. And seeing the whole picture is key to making a good decision. So when I uh, started my research across disciplines in looking at the definition of ethical leadership to answer the other part of your question, I found that it's multidimensional. And looking at it in one way or through one lens when you make decisions, won't give you the whole picture of all of those dimensions. So you can't accurately define it without multiple perspectives. So the short answer to what is ethical leadership won't be true. You know, It will over, be oversimplified. So this title of the book, Seven Lenses, is based on a model that's a continuum of seven different perspectives from narrow and short-term to broad and long-term. Do you want me to just run through the seven lenses to give people an introduction?
0: Yeah, let's let's kind of go through it. You're you're touching on some really cool points and that I want to come back to about diversity and well being, but let's talk about these lenses or this evolution of thinking that a leader might find themselves in.
1: So lens lens one is profit. Of course, how much money will something make? What will be the financial impact? How are we going to stay within budget? And lens two is law. How can we honor all uh, laws and regulations and ethics codes lens three is character how can we demonstrate moral awareness and integrity and lead with a moral compass and lens four is people how can we uh, support the well-being of people prevent harm to them and bring out their best and lens five is communities how can we improve life in the communities we serve lens six is the planet of course, respecting life, nature, and ecosystems, and doing business sustainably. And Lens 7 is the longest term and the highest level, and that is supporting the greater good, leaving things better for future generations, making life better for them. So when we're evaluating our options or when we have an ethical dilemma, if we look at all of these seven perspectives in, in terms of that dilemma, we can see the context the bigger picture of the full impact of that choice that we're making, uh, where just thinking about profits, people, and planet is not going to be quite broad enough to do that. So it's important we don't oversimplify the choices we make, because when we do, we're ignoring the context, thinking if we think we can make a decision just based on its impact on the budget, for example, or how much money something will make, uh, that isn't going to lead us to an ethical decision, and we know that lots of leaders are making this mistake because we're seeing it in the news. Mm -hmm. So ethical ethical leadership isn't as clear-cut as choosing one path or another. It's balancing multiple factors in ways that create a positive workplace.
0: I mean, you're really touching on it. As I said, you, as you said, there's so many organizations in the news that are really being challenged ethically, being challenged with their values. Now, in, in the book, as I said, you say that by looking at these different lenses or by taking this approach through ethical leadership, you can create a really distinct business advantage. Tell me more. How How is this playing out in business today that you're seeing organizations actually getting ahead? That's
1: a great question. Well, I think that the simple answer is people want to be valued, they want to be trusted, they want to grow, and they want to do something meaningful. And they're looking for this kind of ethical leadership, um, someone who cares about their well-being and someone they can trust, someone uh, using values-based leadership thinking. So what we're learning is that organizations that are intentional and consistent in applying ethical leadership get fantastic bottom line results. I'm going to walk you through how that works, and then I'll tell you some of the uh, research organizations who are, are proving that. But what, what starts to happen is that the workers and potential new hires are craving a, a workplace that supports their well-being and growth. They're attracted to organizations with ethical leadership, so when you, you can attract top talent uh, to an organization, then that helps increase um the sense of pride people have in an organization, you can begin to increase trust with ethical leadership on a consistent basis. So now you have top talent, you have ethical leadership, you have increased trust. Now you're, you have increased employee engagement, increased satisfaction and retention. So those employees that were attracted initially to the organization now want to stay, they're happy, and then they who are happy are going to delight your customers. You're going to be able to attract and retain more customers, which all put together will increase productivity, increase profits, uh, improve return on assets, and provide a distinct competitive advantage. So some of the organizations that are proving that this positive cycle is happening include Society for Human Resource Management, the Deloitte Millennial Survey, the National Business Ethics Survey, and the Edelman Trust Barometer. So there's now this powerful incentive to invest time and energy in building a positive ethical culture and applying ethical leadership because it fuels the success of the organization. So leaders don't just have to build culture out of the goodness of their hearts. It, it pays off in their team's productivity and bottom-line results and in the organization's business results.
0: You know what, you're, you're talking, obviously, what, you're talking culture hacker to me here, and, and again, I, I go out, and as what you've pointed out is this now such compelling research that says this culture, this environment, the well-being of p- how people feel about coming to work truly is making a difference to the bottom line. Linda, you you're out there in the business world. I, I know you come up against this as well why are so many executives still ignoring this data and this, this approach to their business? Because I think it's a problem. You, you must come across, I meet so many HR people and they're like, well, I have to, you know, talk through with my CEO. I need to get approval. I need to, you know, get permission to focus on this. And I think it's crazy. Why do we still have this, um, lack of uh, sort of conviction in that, that this is the main thing in business.
1: There's no – you can expect this answer from me. There's no one answer to your question. Um, there are many different factors. I, some people are afraid of change. Uh, some people don't believe the data. Some people are being rewarded for doing other things uh, where we might say ethics is a priority in the organization, but when it comes down to it, we want you to make X amount of profit. And if we talk about profits more than we talk about ethics, well – you're going to go for the profits first and that you're going to give me that if that's what I'm asking for. So the reward structure may be set up to reward the wrong kinds of behavior. Um, There are also many personal failures that can happen, people not being self-aware, not realizing they're they're not using good judgment, um, trusting their gut when they make decisions, thinking that that will be fine and not realizing, okay, in this complex environment – Going with your gut isn't going to guide you very well. It's, it may give you an initial indication of something, but you need to put it through its paces to determine if that is going to be a responsible decision or not and not just go with your gut instinct because that's, you know, we, we are not living in the kind of world where it's an either or choice. There's There's just so many different pieces to the spectrum.
0: Listen, so so give me some advice. So again, our HR managers, our executives are listening out there and they're they're up against their, you know, the CEO or they're trying to Put this business case together. Give them some quick advice. How do you approach that meeting, that discussion, or that strategy? You know, everyone's coming. I, I hate to think that 2017 sort of, uh sort of finishing, but the reality is a lot of executives start to go into their strategic planning for 2018. What do our HR teams and uh, executives need to be thinking about to get this across the line and to make this business ca- case as compelling as possible?
1: I I think in terms of the bottom line results I talked about before, when we intentionally uh, lead the organization based on ethics, we will transform it. It will become a a shining light that will attract customers, job seekers, people who want to make a difference, and they will drive the organization to success. Uh, And I say that the CEO is the chief ethics officer in an organization. And that in that way, you can't separate the ethics responsibility from the role of the CEO. And some of the, I have blogged about the critical roles of the ethical CEO, which would include being a role model for ethical leadership, being someone who is leading with trust, building trust at the highest level, championing ethical values, um, championing the prevention of problems, being an advocate for um, people moving in the right direction, and monitoring accountability in terms of consistency are we holding people accountable consistently across the organization and you as the CEO you're the dialogue leader if you're not willing to talk about ethics do you think anyone else is going to be willing to talk about it you know may, is it a taboo subject the mm-hmm. CEO won't bring it up uh, and also the you're a decision making coach you're a culture builder so you're the top person who is defining Whether or not your organization is going to tap into all those amazing benefits that I talked about, um, the transformation that comes from creating that positive work culture where people can do amazing things.
0: Do you see this? There's a sense of maturity. I mean, I, I, I was talking last week on TV, just this, this sort of exact piece. You know, I compare what happened in the last sort of couple of months with Google versus, uh, you know, like Uber. And, and again, you saw the different approaches from the CEO. One sort of stood down, um, didn't really get it. But there over at Google, you saw this very sort of straight up approach. They opened up, they were honest. They said, listen, it doesn't fit with our values, with our beliefs. Um, therefore, this person, as I said, that wrote the manifesto at the time you know isn't part of our organization i was just really impressed with the strength that you saw coming out of a silicon valley company which often take a lot of heat and then at the same time you saw a, a sort of contradictory approach where there really wasn't that ownership and sort of feeling that at the very top that this was an important issue do you think that the, do you see that maturity level in different leaders that has a part to play and whether or not they see this ethical responsibility and are willing to take it on
1: Absolutely, it takes courage to speak out about values, especially in such a volatile environment that that we find ourselves in. But there's such compelling reason to do it because I'm going to give you some data from this year's Deloitte Millennial Survey. 76% of global millennials surveyed regard business as a force for positive social impact, but only 65% say businesses operate in an ethical manner. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it is up 13 points from last year, but it's still not good at 65%. And it says millennials intend to stay longer with employers that engage in social issues, but only 57% say their leaders are committed to helping improve society. That wow. one is four points four points higher than last year, but still very low.
0: Wow, that's, that's some so, great data. So there's
1: a reason... Uh, you, can, you can't ignore the fact that the world is changing and that this is a, an expected part of creating the workplace where people want to be. If we think about our own experience working for a leader, this is the kind of workplace that is um, involved in meaningful work where we would be able to you know, stretch and grow and, and be our, our best. And that's, that's what people are hungry for.
0: And don't you also think though? you know, we're in, such, we're in the social media driven world, transparency in that. I think the bottom line is companies need to start understanding that someone in their company is going to make a mistake. Hopefully, it's not a, a, a grand enough mistake where a crisis does. But if you go back over the years, mistakes have really hurt organizations on a large scale. Whether you go back to the VW emissions testing, our Wells Fargo, the bank accounts, all of these, all of these things. My piece to executives is things are going to go wrong in your organization, and how you approach when things go wrong, and, and being willing to stand up and stand for something. I think is so very, very important today. That whole idea of being an ethical leader but being willing to stand for something and something that's meaningful and right, I think is only going to become more and more compelling. And I think that is why what you're talking about with this ethical leadership um, is probably one of the most topical and important discussions uh, we need to be having in our organizations today. So this is is great stuff. One of
1: the things that you talked about is, What happens when a mistake happens? I compare two approaches to culture building in terms of ethics. One is the prevention approach where you say, we're going to prevent messy problems. We're going to help people succeed. We're going to make sure ethics is throughout the fiber of our organization. We're going to prevent those kinds of problems. Then the cure approach is reactive and messy. You do what's required by law, and then you wait for something bad to happen And then when something bad happens, you scramble, you do damage control, then you have to build an ethical support system anyway, perhaps with a regulatory body looking at your every move to prevent that from happening again. So the news for everyone is you're going to have to build that infrastructure, that culture for ethics anyway. If you make a mistake, you're going to have to do it under regulatory control in many cases. So you might as well go ahead and do it preventively, and uh, it's a lot easier to teach people how to make good decisions and how to avoid ethical problems than it is to clean them up I after love they it. happen.
0: That's, that, that's a fantastic way to look at this and, and some great advice. All right, so let's kind of take it down a little bit. We're, we're talking, we've, we've token from a fairly big picture in the C suite. Let's come down now to the frontline manager. And and what do you see from them? Because I, you know, in in organizations, let's face it, it's the frontline manager and supervisor that I believe has the biggest impact on, uh, you know, an employee's well-being. You talked about trust. You talked about being cared for. What sort of behaviors should we be seeing from these frontline managers that supports this idea of ethical leadership? Some of the just the small day to day routines that they might find themselves in.
1: In terms of personal ethics, they're they're going to need to demonstrate personal congruence that what they think and say and do all align. That sounds very simple, but it's very hard to do to make sure that whatever you tell people is important is what you think is important, and it's what they see you doing, that it is completely aligned. And they have to stay morally aware. It's It's a minefield out there. We've got to really continually be learning in order to stay on top of uh issues in our industries and prevent harm from simple decisions we think we're making that may have unintended consequences and they're going to have to stay competent in a leadership world that is constantly changing and the expectations are increasing and that that competence has many different elements beyond just following laws that it would include personal awareness learning to manage your emotions, uh, following the organization's ethics, codes, and standards, staying competent in our profession, staying competent as a leader, um, and being willing to dig into issues and not not try to have the answers. I think one of the things that used to be the case is leaders liked to be the ones that could decide and have the answers, and those days are gone. Uh, We don't have the answers. We have some good questions, but... We have to work together to understand the context, and we have to be willing to not know and to actually lead in the space where we we don't really know exactly what we're going to do yet. It's going to evolve. We're going to gather more information, and that can be uncomfortable for some people. So it's a level of learning that will be critical for success.
0: Well, speaking about learning, so you know, get into your book. You're talking about these fourteen behavior behaviors that a leader, you know, needs to sort of encompass in those routines. So you started to to touch on some of those, but let's dig into this a little bit more. Leading with a moral compass, you know, again, everyone should have this moral compass. How does an organization and what responsibility they have to keep managers morally aware? You know, is there a part to play? Is there ongoing training beyond just the ticking the box of the sexual harassment course or whatever else they have to go to, diversity training? How do organizations really make this a part of day-to-day routines and not just a Tick of the box. uh, I covered myself by going through a one-hour, you know, training program.
1: Yeah, most of the ethics training programs actually live on a bookshelf or in on an intranet somewhere, and they don't live in the real world. Excuse me. So they don't have meaning for people. They don't drive day-to-day choices. They just they're a reference manual, and that's the that's the wrong way to do it. Uh, And this is a, a pet peeve of mine: ethics needs to be integrated into everything people learn in our organizations you can't peel it off and say leadership training is over here and your ethics development is over here because if you separate them what are you saying you're saying oh you could have good leadership without ethics because we're going to teach you what you need to know about leadership over here and then in this separate program we're going to talk about ethics so is that the message that we want to give people or do we want to teach them how to apply those ethical values to solving the big problems they have right now in their leadership, which also makes the courses and and experiences more relevant for them. Because then they can see, okay, I'm going to get my problem solved. I'm going to use these values and ethics in order to do that. And then all of a sudden, a light bulb goes off and people realize this drives what we do. This isn't just a a separate knowledge topic this is an action topic
0: yeah i love it so so some good pieces there um let's talk about another one of the behaviors that i love and i'm a big fan of leading in ways that bring out the best in others i kind of think that should be leadership 101 um and, and really that's what a leader does they bring out the best in others and yet unfortunately that's why i think we have so many managers and so few leaders is that managers just aren't that committed to 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 bringing that out I just see this as being the the this has being the, the tipping point for what companies are going to be successfully based on because our Millennials they want to grow our, our Z's they want to be challenged at the end of the day it is about finding the best and I'm almost thinking it, it's such there's a there's a this there's a there's a habit there's a there's a passion for it, but there's also a skill to bring out the best in others. Talk a little bit about this because I, I just think this is where companies are going to win and lose the talent war.
1: Very good point. This is the second quadrant in my four quadrant model, of the 14 guiding principles you mentioned. And leading to bring out the best in others is, I mean, respect is the the bottom line. It has to happen all the time. And when we say respect for others, we mean all of them. And with equal respect for all of them and with respect for boundaries and confidentiality and uh, being trustworthy and trusting other people, not expecting them to do heroic things before we trust them, but um, assuming positive intent and setting up a situation where people believe that they are also trusted as well as trusting you as a leader and telling them everything that we can share about what's going on. Uh, leaders that withhold information, I believe that's an unethical thing to do because they need that information to make choices in, on the day-to-day, and you're just harming the organization and disengaging people if you hold back information. So open communication is critical. And then there's this complex piece of it, which is we have to generate effective performance but it also has to be ethical performance. So I talk about that as effective and ethical performance so that um, one of the things we have to do in order to do that, of course it gets into all the culture building piece, but before I want to talk about that I want to talk about negative interpersonal behaviors because when you talk about respect and boundaries and trust, negative interpersonal behaviors don't fit into that model and yet so many organizations cling. To this mistaken belief that, you know, a locker room type uh, approach where people tease, and you know, at each other and name call and that type of thing, they think it's fun. They think nobody's getting their feelings hurt. They think, you know, it's all good. And I was working with a group of 20 leaders that were in the same division of a company, and they fiercely defended their right to jab and tease each other. And it's a pet peeve, so I pushed back. I said, in my experience, there's always at least one person who finds it negative. And they said, no, no, you're just wrong this time. And at that moment, a hand went up in the back and a manager said, I don't like it. Wow. So there's there's always going to be someone. And when it creates, it erodes the positive environment. So we have to weed out those negative interpersonal behaviors because if we just overlook them, they tend to spread like weeds. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. And
0: and honestly, I feel like you're just talking about Uber and obviously what Dara is coming into as the new sort of CEO is about overcoming. You talked about the locker room mentality and it it certainly seems like that's going to be one of the biggest challenges that he'll be facing as he starts to reset the culture there over at Uber.
1: There's no place for that kind of environment in, in the workplace of today. People just they will no longer stand for it. They might get away with it for a short time, but it is, you'll lose your best talent. There's just so many reasons why that as a model that doesn't work. And it, it really brings down the culture and the cult, you can think about culture as, as almost, um, an equation, you know, you make dip- or, or a formula, you make deposits or, or pluses, or then you just, dis- you detract and any negative interpersonal behavior is going to to come off of a positive culture as a negative and it's going to um balance out the all those positive things that you're trying to do and then you may not make positive progress Hmm. because you're just losing ground uh, whenever those kinds of things happen if any one person is disrespected everyone is that feels at risk of being disrespected even if it's just one person Yep. Or one group, then then everyone wonders, well, am I going to be next? Yep. You know, so everything can um, can come off of that culture equation.
0: This is yeah, this is huge stuff. Now I know that you, one of your big topics you talk a lot about is preparing for the future of ethical leadership. So um, we've started to get to touch on some of the changes today that are happening around us. But how, how do we prepare for the future? How, how, what, where, where are we going from here in your viewpoint and how do organizations as a whole and then individuals, what should they be doing today or what can they be doing to ensure that they are not sort of uh, allowing themselves or hanging themselves out to, you know, basically get into trouble and having to go through one of these crises and letting it linger in an ongoing manner?
1: Really? Managers are going to have to upgrade their thinking process for the future and because our thinking tends to drive our behavior and our choices. So we're going to have to stop relying on quick decisions, you know, impulse decisions, and learn how to see multiple dimensions on an issue and use values to understand the consequences of these choices that we're making. And we have to, in order for all this to work, we have to understand our own biases, and we all have them. So if we say we don't, we're kidding ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a human condition. So we have to become aware of that, and we have to take charge of our thinking in order to make better choices rather than just doing, uh, following whatever seems like the thing we want to do at that moment. We need to take the higher level of, of leadership and learn how to act in ways that will create an ethics-rich environment where people feel like, uh, the good, only good things are going to happen if mistakes happen, they'll be dealt with in, in the right way and that people, people's well-being will be protected. And also, uh, managers are going to need to learn how to be comfortable talking about things they might not have been talking about before. Um, you know, helping people find meaning, helping people connect with uh, community volunteering opportunities, helping them succeed in their lives through um, the application of the organization's values so that they find more of a sense of meaning than uh, just coming in and getting a job done. So the, I, I heard uh, Bob Johansson speak this week on um, the new leadership literacies. He's a distinguished fellow at the Institute for the Future. He was talking about shape-shifting organizations and flexive leadership and acknowledging uncertainty and so as I heard all of that, i mean thinking, you know, managers are going to have to really stretch and aim where, what they're learning ahead of the curve of change. So if we're just learning what we need today, we'll never catch up. You know, we're going to have to aim higher and farther ahead <laughs> to deal with the challenges that are coming.
0: I love it. That's some fantastic advice. Linda, this has been an a, a amazing conversation. And again, I hope our listeners out there are enjoying it. So um, listen, if we're, our listeners want to get hold of you and continue this great conversation or obviously uh, uh, take advantage of some of that expertise that you obviously have, um, what's the best way to get hold of you and uh, learn more about you?
1: They can contact me at linda at com. The website, leadingincontext.com, has lots of tools and videos and uh, things to help people reach the insights that I've been talking about today so we can change that mindset. And, of course, um, Seven Lenses, uh, my book is available on Amazon and in the usual digital formats.
0: Yeah, listen, uh, pick up a copy of that book. It's fantastic reading and as I said, it really does set you up to have this really great foundation of how to approach this idea of ethical leadership in the future. Listen, thanks everybody for listening out there today. Uh, again, I hope you found uh, some great value, a lot of great information and enjoyed the insights that we've brought to you. My name is Shane Green. Uh, as I said, I am the Culture Hacker. Uh, please pick up my book Culture Hacker. It's out there in bookstores or obviously on Amazon. Uh please pick it up if you like what we're talking about and drop me a line let me know what you think about some of the discussions we're having jump onto my website at shangreen.com, nice and easy but send me a note let me know what we're on about and if you're interested in being on the podcast reach out to me and let me know linda thank you so much fantastic conversation have an awesome day and to our listeners out there take care cheers